When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's Bigfoot Collectors Club with Bryce and Michael. I know a ghost story or two. Let's do this. You gotta pump it up. You gotta pump up before we start, man. I love it that we basically now force all of our guests to listen, sit through and listen to that theme song. But I do think it's a good tone setter. Like, no, put on the headphones. I think I've said before, I'm someone who does not like to rush through the opening credits of any TV show. In fact, I was always bummed when like... TV shows started like for more story time, which I guess is cool. They would they would cut the opening intros down to just like a few seconds. Like oh, yeah. Breaking Bad doesn't really have it; just has a little bit of mood music. Yeah, it's still good. You like that lead in? Yeah, I do. I like it a lot. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to another episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I'm your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host, Bryce Johnson, and our trusty producer, Riley Bray. And back in the clubhouse today, we have a returning guest. You may remember him from, er- uh, well, late last year. Yeah, yeah. we're in 2019. Mm-hmm. Sure. I know this to be true. <laughs> uh, uh, he's a uh, filmmaker. He has a new uh, movie out that is uh, bouncing up and down the top 10 charts on the uh, iTunes documentaries yeah uh it's been number one it's been number two it's been number three it's been back to number one uh it's a new film that is right up our alley if you're a patreon listener uh you have heard us speak about this before it's called bob lazar area 51 and flying saucers we have back with us today filmmaker Jeremy Corbell. Yeah. What's up, right. dude? Thanks, guys. What's Thanks up, for having man? me again. Uh, this and that, man. <laughs> hey, uh, we just want to say off the bat, congratulations on the Seriously. film. Uh, we were lucky enough to attend the premiere in December, and that was a blast. Dude, you had like thousands of people in this giant It felt theater. like an epic event, Ooh, man. It does your marketing and how can they help us? <laughs> <laughs> that was an absolute miracle. Yeah, it was like a rock concert. Everybody thought I was going to fail. There was actually people coming in with cameras to film my failure. Really? Yeah, it was crazy. People are so mean in the UFO community. <laughs> like, it, basically, I did it myself. Um, I, I didn't have a marketing team, anything. I just put out the APB. Wow. And the, I think the hunger for it. And, and look, I was reaching for the stars. I always wanted to show a movie 
at this venue. It is absolutely beautiful. Charlie- this is the Ace Theater yeah, downtown. The, right. It's gorgeous. Oh, my gosh. Like Charlie Chaplin built it with his homies back in the day, and it was to show their work, and they've completely renovated it and kept it you know, in beautiful condition. It was a dream to show there. But, I mean, 1,680-something people wow. fill that place. Oh, my gosh. There was would- such a vibe, too, that night, oh, man. Beautiful. Just like even the people like waiting around the block, you were like, all these like... Mike was like... These are our people. I'm like, I know, I know. I think you went, actually, I think you went, uh-oh, are they? <laughs> That's, a li- a little like, bit of both. Yeah, they are. Yeah, for That's sure. The I know we're definitely in the right place. Yeah. I want to I get to the movie, in a, we're going to get to the movie in a bit, but bef- and, and, uh, and we want to bring our listeners up to speed, but I want to go back to something you said a moment ago. Who are the haters? What do you mean haters? Well, look, uh, the, the story we're about to talk about today is it's very polarizing. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know exactly what it is, but this compared to any other subject or movie, it might just be me. You know, maybe people are rubbed the wrong way at times the way I present stuff, but people went crazy over this, both positive and negative. So the, the Bob Lazar story, the one we're going to talk about today, it, it seems to push on people's... Uh, <coughs> I don't know their nerves. Mm-hmm. You know they they want to believe him or they or they know he's a liar because the story is complex and especially if you're looking at it from the outside and not from a humanistic point of view. Yeah, it's a it's a weird story, man. So I don't know what it is, but yeah, there's a lot of you guys might in your fields be used to this. I'm not so much. I mean, there is like extreme emotions being thrown at me about this film, which is crazy. Sure. How have you handled that? I mean, like, I mean, with a plum, obviously, I've watched you on a few of your uh, post interviews. It seems like you've been making the rounds, man, which is amazing. I've watched most of them, but I think you handle it very well. Like you navigate that, uh, that kind of both those sides, I think. Well, what I did was I took all the stuff that was painful and hurtful and I gave it to my wife and I said, you do social media. <laughs> that lasted like a week. And then she's like, I can't stand these people. You right. know, she's like, forget this. It was like the worst thing I ever did was show her, you know, the underbelly of the internet. Oh yeah. But you know, here's the deal. Like I learned a long time ago and I think we all say it, but to really understand it, like praise and blame is all the same. That's something I learned a long time ago. Mm. Sometimes people think you're great, and sometimes they think you're not. They think you did a good thing here. They think you did a bad thing here. I did this film because I wanted to. I wanted to know the truth. I wanted to find out. And then being able to share that is like an added bonus. And it's nice that I can make movies and share it to people. So the way I look at it is the the type of anger people have about this story is clearly because they are passionate about something. Yeah, you know? right. And and if it's rubbing them the wrong way, it's their right. All I'm asking is that people watch the movie they look at the evidence they don't just jump to conclusion and don't believe all the crap you read on the internet try to get closer and closer to the source so i I don't know i kind of just don't take it personally because i understand fanaticism you know people are interested yeah you have to you have to not take it personally at a certain point especially when you're dealing with a subject (laughs) that has preceded your own right narrative voice by decades 30 years you yeah. know and i of course like the the problem with all of this and i think that we're kind of i mean this has been a really positive experience for us on the podcast but there is a sense i mean even sometimes in the comments section in some of our instagram i have to be like okay i'm sorry i have to delete this because you know when you're dealing with topics like we are ufos bigfoot the paranormal and it's on the internet. It's it's a catch-all for everything that's great about the internet and everything that is <laughs> awful about the internet. Everything that's great about 
outlier counterculture and everything that's terrible and hateful about that stuff as or hate filled i should say with that stuff too so it's it's it is kind of tricky navigating your way through such a vast landscape of opinions and there's a lot of emotion attached to this stuff you have to remember that some of this stuff like this story you're presenting is already fueled at least you know hundreds of late night conspiracy theorists yeah, yeah for years and years and years so when you're coming at them with like here's that thing you've been obsessed with yeah either for or against for the past 10 years they're going to come at it with strong strong emotions you know yeah. it, it, what what i thought was really interesting about the movie is you could tell from your premiere walking in there was a palpable sense of nostalgia for sure. Bob Lazar, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what I yeah, mean. Man. Before the movies even started, so you're getting, you're tapping directly into nerd culture, for lack of a better term, in the same way that like the next Star Wars movie is going to, and people are bringing all that baggage. Yeah, it was them. that was an incredible thing. You know, and look, there's I don't want to focus just on the how weird it's been. There have been some unbelievable um, responses to the movie. But, you know, first of all, the response is everybody wants to watch it. That's great. That's why you're seeing it. You know, even by the way, even if we fluctuate in the charts, we're actually number one documentary for more than 40 days as far as sales. That's That's incredible. People want to buy this movie. They want to see it. They want to watch the bonus. That's great. So that's the most I can ask for right now. I don't want to focus on the negative stuff too much because there's been so much positive. But yeah, just kind of, it took me aback that, you know, how intense this subject is for people. But I think there's a reason for that. And I think it's worthy of talking about. Yeah. Well, 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 it's certainly, I would say one thing too about it is like, I don't think what people realize is that the story of Bob Lazar (laughs) is what has made, has what has kind of dug into the subculture of, of area 51 UFOs in general. I mean, it's really embedded itself as like one of the key components to this whole thing, not just here um, in America, but internationally too. Yes. I mean, it is dug into the subculture and into the society of like, and Bob Lazar is is a big player in that. And there's something else happening right now too, which is like UFOs. I don't know if it's because of the state of politics right now, or, or what, uh, or if it's because of the New York Times article no, from back. December. <laughs> It's like the X-Files are back. Yeah, the, the the Project Blue Book show on yeah. History Channel is like X-Files. And like your movie's hitting right now. Maybe it's just because we're in this world. But I feel like I feel like UFOlogy is kind of like circling back around and kind of having a comeback in the way There's it no hasn't. There's no doubt about it had a moment like this since the like late 90s i, I know feel like. oh it's, it's really it's, it's really crazy times are changing i there was just a, an article i don't remember if it was which uh, publication you know science something it was a big publication and they're talking about the the nasa group that's now saying like hey we got to deal with extraterrestrial life and with extraterrestrial technology we got to deal with it now it's like an article just came out wow. and i sent it to george knapp and i was like hey man look at this and he goes yep he goes times are changing that was his email to me yeah just times are changing so even people that have been looking at this far longer you know than i have you know times are changing well and i think we have now a generation our generation specifically of kids that grew up with this stuff in the 90s who are now able to pick up a camera make a movie get get some mics make a podcast you know like ryan ryan sprague who we had on the other week like his roswell specials but like they're they're doing another Roswell show on the yeah. CW, and they're doing a, do- a mainstream documentary for their network for right. their. So I think that we're now seeing like 
uh, you know, our generation wanting to go, hey, what happened? We want some answers or we want to figure out what was going on with some of this it's stuff. It's almost like a, a UFO flap in and of its own yeah, without, yeah, yeah. without you know, yeah. the, a, a, like a crash or something. Right. It's like a, a societal flap or something, yep. you know what I mean? It's, well, yeah, you know that when, <clears throat> when uh, entertainment is starting to provide that content, that's mm-hmm. because it's selling. Right. And it's selling because people are interested in it. So you can always tell that there is this underlying interest because the entertainment industry is looking to make money off of mm-hmm. it. And so, yeah, and there's good reason for it too. This is a very unique time. We have been told that there is a government program, an active one called ATIP, which by the way hasn't ended. You know, they change names and funding sources all the time. But that was just one small program that, you know, I've slipped up even mentioning before. There are other ones. Yeah. Right. Ones that deal with biology, ones that deal with crash retrieval in every branch of our military that you, you know, those will be coming out. That information I I am confident will be coming out. Mm. And so what we're seeing is a world now where we it's not it's okay to say these things are worthy of study because we've been studying them. Yeah. Right. Our government has been studying them. Well, and I want to get to more on that uh later in the podcast too. Uh those documents that released that were the uh the subject of study under A tip. That was kind of a which which George Knapp had originally <clears throat> released without uh, uh Without verification, it was kind of an unnamed source, but oh, yeah. Pope just released those with uh, with them being um, verified. Anyway, I, I, we'll talk about it later, but some yeah, of the stuff they're studying, like <clears throat> wormholes and anti-gravity. All right, well, and we'll get to it. All that crazy. Let's get to it later. Yeah, we'll get to it later. All right, let's <laughs> talk about Bob Lazar. Let's do all it. Right, right. What's the story? What is the uh, Jeremy Corbell Wikipedia version of... The bo- what's the high strangeness story of Bob Lazar? Sure, yeah, Wikipedia got it wrong. Don't read that. <laughs> well, <for> any- <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I grabbed it with Jeremy Corbell's yeah, Wikipedia. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, okay, look. Um, in 1989, something happened that resonated around the world and continues to this day. And that was, there was a, a journalist out of Las Vegas, Nevada, called George Knapp. And George brought this guy on air in shadow under a fake name of Dennis and the guy goes on the news and says i was tasked with reverse engineering alien spacecraft an alien propulsion system specifically the power and propulsion of an alien craft at a subbase of area 51 called site 4 which nobody had ever heard it was never in the news people didn't know that name what the heck is he talking about so basically ufo's nine of them in a secret hangar south of Area 51, and our government is studying, our military is studying them, and this was the claim, and everybody was like, record scratch, <laughs> what? Totally. <laughs> we always knew something was going on out there. You know, there was some you know, little bit of whispers. People that lived in Vegas knew about this secret base. They called it the box, the ranch, Watertown, all sorts of stuff, but Area 51, right? Anyway, this testimony, this guy who went on, it, it lit a fire. It was a frenzy. It was a, a storm. It hit news everywhere. What he said hit the nerve of people because he seemed really believable. Mm-hmm. And so that was the initial <laughs> moment in history in, in, in May of 1989 where this story first came forward. Now, you could you know easily dismiss it and, and try to say no. People have been trying to dismiss Bob Lazar and what he basically said for 30 years. But the deal is it got so much deeper than that. So nine months later, Bob Lazar then goes on the news with his face and his name. Okay, so this is when he comes out. Right. Now, now, you know, 
why he did this to begin. That's a whole thing that people don't totally understand, but I'm just giving you the, what happened. So what happened was then nine months later, there's this big report. George Knapp goes deep into it because everybody wants to know. So as a report, he's like, well, people want to know. So I need to find out, you know, is this guy telling the truth? Is there any meat to his story and who is he? And so George convinced him that, look, man, because of what's happening in your life right now, which whether you believe it or not, he was at that time being it severely threatened. He was scared for his life. That's why he came on the news. That's why he put his face out there. He didn't want to do any of that. He's He wants anonymity. He doesn't want fame. The guy could be famous in a hundred ways for what he does. The guy's an incredible dude, right? But he just doesn't want the attention. But he did feel that if he got it all out and told his story, whether you believe it or not, that I can tell you, he he believed that if he did this, then he would be okay. You know, can I that, ask a p- plot point question mm-hmm. real quick? When did he go from uh, Dennis, the guy in the shadows in the car, the initial uh, interview, to uh, okay, I'm out, I'm out in the open as Bob Lazar now, right. George so, Knapp. So what, that, where, when did that transition take place? So that, that it was nine months later when he when he showed his face on on um, you know on the TV and, and revealed his name, and there's a reason for that too. So at first he thought, okay, just come forward push back, say everything. Dennis was the name of his superior at um, at S4, Site oh. 4, South of Groom. Like, it was kind of like an F you, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> oh, my God. They flipped out about this. So this was right around the time when Bob is basically saying, okay, I, 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 I am now really under threat. You know, after that thing, it didn't do something good for me. Right. It's bad. People don't know who I am. So the threats came after that first. They, they came after that worse because at first, okay, so to just to backtrack a second. So, so what happened is why Bob went out in the first place to protect himself, you know, again, just follow my story and then we can debate it after, but is because he ended up getting fired or not officially fired, but not called back to work. So there he is. He's just been exposed to, if you believe a story, exposed to all this UFO stuff. And all of a sudden he's not being called back to work because they were tapping his phone lines. He, he allowed them to do that, to monitor his phone lines. Mm-hmm. They want to make sure no one Part calls of the vetting him and process. Him. Yeah. They, and also <laughs> they want to make sure nobody calls him and tries to blackmail him. And then they wouldn't, you know, that's a normal, normal thing for that kind of thing. And what happened is they find out that his wife is cheating on him. He didn't know. They told him. So it's a really bad time in his life to begin with. That's oh. another human side to the story. So he's kind of feeling like, well, they're not calling me back. I know all this stuff. We're being tailed and everywhere now, you know, and and there were people following. I've talked to all, a bunch of his friends that were with him, and it was a scary time. Weird stuff was happening all the time. So he's like, F this. I'm getting out ahead of this well, thing. Says, yeah, he goes, first of all, I'm, I'm going to prove to my friends. You know, they think you're they think I'm crazy if I just tell them. I'm going to take them. So he took them out near Area 51. But remember, really remote, not Area 51, Papoose Dry Lake. So that's mm. south, 17 miles south of Area 51. He's like, at 8.30 on this Wednesday, there's going to be a craft that comes up. It's going to blow your mind. And sure enough, on three separate occasions in a row, three Wednesdays in a row, at the time he said craft comes up, and does incredible maneuvers. Now, with him were some aviation experts, um, some physicists from Los physicists from Los Alamos, and they were. It wasn't like you just see a light. They were yeah. like, "Holy <clears throat> shit!" You know, how did that happen? Yeah. So 
you've got the testimony from his friends, right? Something crazy. They could see it looked like a flying saucer coming up of a Papoose Lake and it's making maneuvers that are just unbelievable. So he says, okay, now I've proved to my friends. They know if something happens to me. And then basically he was convinced, hey, go on the news. You know, this is like, you get it, get in front of it. So that's why he did the first interview. If he just says it all, then they can't like threaten him anymore. Well, he was wrong. Well, just to add to that too, like not only did he take his friends out there, I think like John Lear, Gene Huff and, uh, and his wife at the time, but they recorded it. They got it on video uh, record. And that's something that you can see. Um, and when you analyze it closely and when you look at it closely, it has that sort of saucer shape that he, and yeah, it's, it's incredible. There's a whole analysis video on it. And for me, it's like, okay, black sky, 1989 video camera. John Lear even kicked accidentally the tripod, you know, he got, you know, to his telescope. It's like, they were kind of, they weren't thinking, let's prove this to the world. Yeah, they, they were, were just, just excited. Couple they were, buddies, yeah. Yeah. This was never for public consumption. There was so much that was never for public consumption. And by the way, in my film, there's so much new stuff and it drives me crazy when people People don't recognize, actually, there's eight points that are completely new that nobody knew before my film. So it's like this story that you've heard, it's become part of UFO lore. So just to kind of summarize it and wrap it up. So he he comes out, he shows his friends, then he gets really threatened. And it, I've talked to all his friends, and it's true. Everything that happened, they know their phones were tapped. George Knapp knows his phones were tapped because there were other witnesses that came forward to verify Bob's story. They all got threatened with their lives, six of them, right after Bob came out. To this day, they won't talk with him. And the only way they knew, you know, agencies knew to go threaten these people was because of one telephone in the news station. So mm. he and, and we all take for granted now or everything's, you know, goes to some supercomputer in Utah. But it wasn't like that in 1989. You know, as a journalist in particular, it's like a sacred thing, your phone line, right? So anyway, the point is, so there's this guy, he says, UFOs are real. The government has them. We've been reverse engineering them. I was part of the project called Project Galileo. I worked on one flying saucer. I was trying to work on a gravity wave amplification system powered by a fuel source called Element 115. I mean, all this wild stuff and the world just goes crazy. And then he comes out with his face. And all of a sudden, you got a face to the name, and he's mm-hmm. this really enigmatic-looking dude with Coke bottle glasses, becomes super famous. So any kids ever looked into UFOs, you hear the name Bob Lazar, and it's like you've just heard the name Elvis Presley. I mean, the guy's <coughs> famous. Yeah, around the world. And it, it's because he hasn't then sought out attention, hasn't gone on the lecturing circuits, hasn't tried to make money off of his thing. And a lot, people argue all this crazy shit that I'll deal with if you want to talk about it. Bob has never received anything good from the UFO topic other than grief. And you only know that if you've had time with him, which of course most people don't, so I can't blame him for it. So there's this guy, flying saucers, element 115, gravity wave amplification. They're here. Holy cow. Went all around the world. Area 51 is famous now. The reason you know the words Area 51 is because of Bob. Sure, you could say, well, people knew about the base before. No, look, it was not a household word. Element 115 was not the fuel source in like the X-Files craft before Bob Lazar. That was from Bob Lazar. Even the X-Files poster, I want to believe, is a rendition from what he saw, which is they are here in S4. So it has permeated popular culture in a way that is so both subtle and also obvious, it's just become commonplace. And that's because of Bob Lazar. The flying saucers, you know it today. Because of Bob Lazar. Amazing. Bob's... Wanted to circle back to something when he decided to go um, public with the story. It was the logic that if he went public with it, it 
they they would stop threatening him because if anything happened to him, then it was obvious that it was some the government or the military had done it. Sec- that was the second thing. The, the first attempt was, I'm just going to say it all. Because if I just say it all, if I just get it all out, right. there's nothing else I can say. So it's done. They're not going to threaten me. I've said it. Oh, the, 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 right. Second, it didn't quite work that yeah. well. Because what happened was um, he wasn't out with his face, which he really didn't want to do. He right. physically wrestled George Knapp, grabbed him. When George was about to put the tape in, it was a tape back then, the broadcasting thing. He, you know, this, not- is, this is the story that I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> it's the wrestling match get between Bob Lazar and George Knapp. <laughs> okay, yeah. So for like nine months, George is it's, like, dude, Bob, you got to get It's like that <laughs> scene from They Live. Where he's trying to put the sunglasses on. It's like a twenty-minute fight trying to put the VCR tape. I've recorded the both of their versions of this, and at some point, I want to release that like one sentence and then the other sentence. Get them to, to yeah. tell this way because it's hilarious. They, they agree on one thing, which is that they spent nine months and George is looking into his past and his history. And did he work at Los Alamos? Was he a physicist? You know, it could his claims be true? You know, what do we know about this guy, Bob Lazar? Is it bullshit? Because remember, George is a reporter. He wants to know, is this guy joking? Is this a, a big ploy? Because that's his career. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, they got to a point and he's like, they're about to put the t- And George gets the tape and they get it right out of the editing machine. They're down to the wire. And Bob lunges at him. He's like, I've changed my mind. Oh, he said, no. I, could, I don't want people to know my face. No. And he like, and they wrestle to the ground. And Bob basically said, George is really strong. Right, <laughs> right, right. So. Yeah. yeah. So that's what happened, yeah, that's awesome. and that's history. So then everybody, once Bob's face was on the news, it was already being looked at by international media, and it was so sensational, it just became part of the zeitgeist mm-hmm. of uh, human understanding of the UFO phenomenon. And you mentioned Element 115, and that was the uh, element the, that uh, Bob claimed was stabilized and used to... Uh, fuel or be the power source for these anti uh, grav- gravitational machines or engines in the UFOs, correct? Right. So they're kind of like, you know, what, what the machines are gravity wave amplification. So or whatever. I'm just going to explain. Yeah, I'll just ex- explain what it's supposed to be. So gravity wave amplification. So it uses the Earth's gravity when it's around the Earth and then it goes. And we talked di- about this a little bit uh, did, when you yeah. were out here for a hunt. We did for the Skinwalker, but 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 go okay. but go on. So so yes, the, this is a really fun fun. It's uh, totally nerdy. Idea. So yeah, the question, the, the the basic thing is yes. What Bob claims is that he had a stable form of element one fifteen, meaning the number of neutrons, the isotopes. It's stable, like gold has. From what I understand, you Wikipedia me because I keep saying this. I'm not sure. I think this is true, but like gold has forty different isotopic combinations. One is stable, right? And that's the gold we know, right? So same with like. This alleged element 115, which wasn't fabricated at the time right. Bob was talking about it, although we've made a few atoms of it now, totally unstable, 220 milliseconds, and it's gone, right? right? But he claims there is a stable version of element 115. Every single heavy element, you know, physicist or material scientist I've talked with, if they don't know, we're talking about UFOs, just talking about science. Right. Mm-hmm. You cannot rule out a stable form of element 115. That would be totally unscientific of you. In fact, we think it probably does exist. Mm-hmm. We just haven't figured out how to synthesize it or make it. I don't know or, if we ever will be able right. to learn to synthesize it. Maybe, but not in any usable quantity. Right. a solid but, form. Yeah, but the things, the things people say against Bob is what he said was pseudoscience. Oh, no, that's bullshit. What, the, to say element 115 can't be in a stable form, that's bullshit. And we're talking about isotopically stabilized, meaning it's got a half-life that's 
usable for us. Everything decays, I imagine, right? Mm -hmm. At some point. So, but this is a usable and human time span. Now, what's weirder than that are the principles of this alleged stable 115 that Bob talks about. That's what's strange. It, he didn't just say there's this element, it's super heavy and it's very cool. He says there's this element, it's super heavy and it's really cool. And we had it, but we had 500 pounds of it. He was told they had 500 pounds of it, which is a ridiculous amount. It must have been harvested from somewhere else and brought here. We can't make 500 pounds of this, especially back in 1989. We're talking atoms of unstable. So he said so stable. The, the idea being that this came off of a craft or came from Well, not only that, space. Like, if you think about it, he talks about nine flying saucers uh, allegedly unscathed or scratched, which means these weren't crashed or downed UFOs. These were obviously, which makes you start to go, well, how did we get these? So either they were like given to us, you know, and at that point you got to be like, well, if they gave us nine saucers, then maybe they gave 500 pounds of element 115 <laughs> as well. Right. So, so funny. The first Best time I've just ever. in a briefcase, <laughs> this is the 500 yeah. pounds. You're going to need these to power them. Oh, but, sweet, you <laughs> however, there's some issues with that, you know, which is like, so I had this, like this rhino, it's called, you, you, you crawl on rocks, like in pioneer town, you can like go over these rocks. It's a cool machine, but there's two keys to it. One is like gray. And that's the fast key. And then one's like black. And that's the that's the slow key because it only lets you go half throttle. Right. So you kind of wonder if that is the case and it was given mm. to us, like, what can we really do with it? We don't have the material science to be able to replicate any of this. Right. We don't even in our solar system have element 115 in any stable form that can be harvested anywhere. So it had to come from somewhere else, like a binary star system with more matter from a supernova or somewhere else where it occurs naturally is what he was thinking. Now... Recently, though, he said something crazy. He never really speculates. You know, he goes, look, I was led, he goes, I don't know if this is true, but I was led to believe that these were from like an archaeological dig, mm. which, which I thought was so cool. I was yeah. like, tell me more. He's like, I don't know more. <laughs> and so, so maybe that is. Oh, cool. So if you go through the theories, maybe it's super old. We've had it a long time. Maybe it was like put here. For some reason, that I don't know. You ever need a ship, you know, and you're on Earth. We Dug got them one out hidden. of the ocean, maybe. Oh wow, that's a whole nother thing. Mm. Yeah, but that would be rad. I love that idea that they're the they were discovered. They've been here, right? That's so cool. He felt like they had been studying it a long time, right? And that he was brought in, being like, "Yeah, this is new. Take a look," you mm. know, just so to see where he came, what he came up with. Right. So anyway, back to the 115. So the other claim that he had on 115 that's really intense, it's really an interesting thing, is that he says element 115, especially when when machined in the way it was machined, which is new information in my film, the way he said it was machined, that it, it actually produces gravity. It's It's got like extra gravity was kind of his claim, like that, that there's these, these types of gravity. He said, there's a physics that you're not being told, that I'm not being told, mm -hmm. that we're not being told. And he says, we, we learned it there. And that was a, this gravity A and gravity B. And he goes, I'm not positive any of this is true. This is what I was told. It made sense to me at the time in the project. But he says, that's that's how you could extract almost and, and amplify a gravity wave like you'd amplify any kind of wave. So look, I don't know. I'm not, mm -hmm. this is outside of my scope of, you know, real scientific knowledge, but that was his claim. And I love the way he explained it. Like he said, falling forward. And this always made so yes. much sense to me. It was like an aha moment. He was like, imagine a bowling ball on a mattress. You put your fist in front of that bowling ball. What's going to happen? It's going to move, you know, um, not through its own energy, but through the uh, you're basically falling into that uh, 
you know, you basically, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Oh, no, no. I mean, but <laughs> you get it. You, you know, get what I'm no, saying. No, no. But what you're saying is so important because this is what uh, you know. As I say, weaponized my curiosity. It made me go crazy. I was like, oh, this is so cool. It flipped my script. I got to learn more about this. What you're talking about is a reactionless system. So everything right. we know is propulsion. You push something out the back, you go forward. If you push it back on a skateboard, push back with your foot, you go forward. Uh, you know, t- take a balloon and blow air out one back. The balloon goes forward. I mean, that's everything's a reaction system now what he is describing is a like i guess a field propulsion system it's the idea that is so counterintuitive you're not you're not propelling anywhere you're distorting the fabric of time space in front of you with high energy gravity wave amplification Mm -hmm. and we know it's connected so all of a sudden it's almost like you you aim in one direction and it falls towards that. Yeah, it pu- it actually pulls it towards you. It pulls that point towards you, from what I understand. And then as soon as you turn it off, it's like as if you're slingshotted to that point instantaneously. Amazing. So, yeah, so the whole idea that, well, okay, I believe extraterrestrials exist. The universe is vast. There are probably life everywhere. Goldilocks planets almost around every star. Some are technologically advanced. Okay, great. Are they visiting here? And what we've always heard is you can't travel faster than the speed of light. Well, we know that's not true now. There's, I think, five different types of particles that do. So quarks is yeah. one that everybody knows. That information, the, the data between quarks, right, and their orientation. Yep. Instantaneous, instantaneous information transfer. Now, practically, why is this important? Okay, let's say you're on Mars and you got a rover. It takes eight minutes, from what I understand, to go go left rover, and the and the rover goes left. But with quantum computing and the idea of instantaneous data transfer, if you're like go left, that data, that binary information goes right to the rover. Rover goes left right there. No lag so, time. Right. So imagine. So so first of all, imagine what that does as far as our technology to understand that things do travel faster than the speed of light. What we consider magically. So how are they coming here? Because obviously, I mean, something's coming here. We've come to that point now, yeah. right? So what are these craft? How are they getting here? Well, Bob's the only one that's really described that. And the way he described it is the is not about speed. It's not about going fast. It's about these jumps, these leaps by distorting space-time itself. Well, and in the list of uh, some of the topics they were studying <laughs> under ATIP, which we'll get into later, is like quantum entanglement communication, which is like, yeah. you know, the instantaneous, uh, like as fast as thought. You know what I mean? Go left, go left. It's You don't That's have to exactly wait. exactly what we're talking about right now. It yeah. is a like, imagine a binary computer system of ones and zeros. Incredible. Instantaneous across space time. By the way, faster than the speed of light. It has nothing to do with speed. Mm-hmm. It's instantaneous. Right. Crazy. Great. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, no. we want to talk to Jeremy <laughs> about the film. And we're going to bring up some of the stuff that the the anti-Bob Lazar people bring up as evidence to, of of uh, against the story, yeah. uh, which ties into the film as, as well. So we'll take a quick break and we'll come right back. All right. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. And we're back with Jeremy <laughs> Corbell, uh, director, filmmaker, Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers. Go get it. Um so uh like we always do with stories of high strangeness whenever there's like well it could have been this it could have been that we always bring up like the skeptical side of yeah. stuff and with bob lazar one of the big things that seems to follow him around and was one of the big th- uh controversies and his credibility is that early claims that he had that he uh, attended a uh, grad program at MIT, Caltech. There's no record of him ever going to these schools. So that's one thing that people point to is like, well, not such a credible witness if his past or he claims to have doesn't actually exist. Now, of course, there's a conspiracy theories that maybe some of his past has been deleted from public record. Um, and then, of course, We'd have to bring up to the, you know, he does have somewhat of a criminal record uh, busted for a, uh, what was it? It was a some type of prostitution ring, I believe. Yeah, so it's called pandering. And uh, he, the, the big thing that he did was outfit uh, an illegal brothel, because there were legal brothels too. Right, he, it's Nevada. Yeah, he, <laughs> he outfitted an illegal brothel, right. you know, with a computer system for the books and some security cameras and that kind of thing. And I, I think he was actually part owner in a couple of them yeah you know back in the day i don't you know know the whole thing but yeah i mean <laughs> you know, he, yeah yeah that happened. i don't yeah. know if that has to do with our ufos well, but, but his character you're I don't saying think he's a bad guy because he did that no 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 I, I don't think it makes a person necessarily a bad guy but uh you know there's also legal trouble with united chemical united, or united nuclear later uh you know it's it's just one of those things where if I am a skeptic, totally, and I'm not, you know, no, I'm, that's, that's I'm, okay. I, you I walk should. in, I walk in to your film, going, oh, I'm so excited, and um, so I'm not a skeptic. If I'm a real skeptic, I'm going, well, let's look at the credibility of the sole witness in this yes. story. Right, he's making these huge claims, right, which are fucking fascinating, right, but can't verify his education based right. on what he says. He does have some criminal history, which for better or for worse, you know, if you're just trying to come up with a credible witness as someone you're like going to take their word for it, I feel like that's a knock against him. And that arms a lot of skeptics who are like, well, I'm not going to believe anything that comes out of this guy's 
mouth, you know, right. worst and case I, scenario. And I, I addressed these in the film to the degree that I thought they were valuable, but I, and I actually pushed Bob on camera on these things harder than he has oh, yeah. ever been pushed by anybody on camera just because I had the opportunity to do so. So it's so funny. So yeah, I mean, I love going through these things that like every time, you know, someone wants to hear the Bob Lazar story, we have to touch upon these depending on how much you want to go into it it's so funny when these things start kind of like fading away as far as importance when you start learning the true stories about them well and that's that brings me to what i wanted to talk to you about with the film you know one of the things you talk about is like well i got i think you even mentioned at the premiere that you used to be a skeptic and then once you got to know bob that changed for you once i had access to more information that changed for me. cool yeah. so yeah so i want to talk i want to talk about where you're at with the story that you just told, sure. what you believe think happened, and how making the movie got you to that point. Sure, yeah. So, so you know, let's just. Uh, so, first of all, the Bob Lazar story is absolutely controversial, and for good reason. You know, I, I I can't say I've figured everything out about the story. What I wanted to do was I wanted the lies to stop. The things that I knew were lies. And I, I thought I could convince Bob that if he didn't at least tell his story again, even though I, there's a lot of new information that I was able to come up with, but just tell his story again, then it's going to, the history books will be written with lies because he's never mm-hmm. opposed them. Not that he can't on his own, you know, he doesn't need anybody to oppose him for him. He could oppose him. He just doesn't, it's not how he wants to live his life mm-hmm. is always telling people, no, you're wrong. I'm not a liar. I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like how many times can you say that? Totally. So. Let's go into some of the problems, I guess, of of the Lazar story, because people want to know about that. And these have haunted the story forever. I mean, first thing is his education. You know, the the whole idea that he went to MIT and Caltech, there's no proof of that at all that anybody can, can offer. And George explained that from the very beginning. You know, but remember, Los Alamos also said, we have no record of Bob Lazar. He never worked here. We now George proved that that was either a lie or they were wrong in 1989. Well, it's clear that he was working there at least as some type of contract engineer at the very least. Well, now you accept that, but back back then, no, everybody was you know making jokes. There's no way. Well, George went there with him. He found him in the phone book. We've both talked to people that have worked with him on camera. Um, no, I mean, but you have to take my word for that, I guess. But I, you know, I know he was there. But then. It gets better over the years. I got Dr. Robert Krangle to come out, and this guy says, yeah, I was in security briefings with Bob the physicist. Oh, he's in the Los Alamos Monitor, the newspaper, as a physicist. It's like death by a thousand cuts. It's like, okay, so finally we've proved Bob worked at the Maison facility. And what's the difference between what's Los Alamos's connection to S4 and Area 51? Right. So why this is important is because there are certain things we can't prove about Bob. We can't prove his education at all. But somehow, magically... We know he worked at Los Alamos at the Maison Particle Facility, Particle, you know, Accelerator Facility, and and that he worked there for years as a physicist, and that's not under debate anymore. That just I, I've proven it. George has proven it. He worked. Kirk Meyer just hired him. But by the way, when a subcontractor hires you, you got to show more proof of education, more so because they have to be responsible to the to the mandates of of Los Alamos. Bottom line is he worked there. He worked there in scientific capacity. So my point is, we can prove that. We can't prove how he got there. But how did they hire him if he didn't have any education? They're not in the business of hiring people if they're not qualified. So there's like this huge lapse that we we cannot prove his education. 
So I always say, and people hate me for this, but I say, okay, I'm willing to accept your version of the worst reality so we can just get past it. What is your version of the worst reality about Bob Lazar? Is he completely fabricated his schooling? Okay. I don't believe that because I've talked with people that have dropped him off at Caltech. So before he was Bob the UFO guy to go to school. Right. And just I, friends of his. That was an interesting point in the movie where because I because I go, I watch that and I go, that makes me think of stories where you hear of spouses who lose their jobs and say, Okay, I'm off to work. And then go sit in a coffee shop all day. Could you know, be. like, could look, be. look, it could be. Like, it's awesome that you got somebody who at least put him on Caltech's campus. But there's nobody saying I taught him. I went to class right, with him, right? And I can find a million. Well, not a million. That's clearly a hyperbole. But my classmates can tell you where you know what classes they took with me at Carnegie Mellon and so, vice versa. So, so I'm fully willing, you know, to accept that. Uh, I'm just I'm trying to give you all, all the little no, no, bits no. Of, I mean all the little bits of evidence. I love that theory. I never heard that. So here's the deal: when we get to the point where we have to put some sort of value system on these pros and, and cons. And I made lists, you know, the, you know, making these pros and cons of, of if he's telling the truth, if he's not telling the truth, you have to decide how much value you put on each thing. So the education thing, it got me only so far. If I accept your worst case scenario as like the worst critic as people are, they say, okay, well, he lied about his education. Okay. I, let's say I accept that for a second. How much value do I give that? Because I do know that he worked at Los Alamos in scientific capacity where he was in security briefings with other physicists, such as Dr. Robert Krangel, who I found, and he's not a UFO guy. He just remembers Bob, and I, I proved that Krangel was there. Is he the guy that you you were contacting in the film, if I can talk a little bit little, yeah, little no, anything about the little film. Little teaser sorry. about the film. Uh, do you speak, you don't speak to him on camera, on the phone in the film, but you do, I you discover him, discover his contact in the movie, correct? Two, two separate people. So, so, so okay. the Robert Krangle thing is so. This I, is just my memory. No, no, that, that's what. Yeah, so I found that Robert Krangle. He went on record with me. He goes, "Yeah, Bob was at Los Alamos. I was in security briefings with him. He was a physicist. Mm-hmm. I mean, straight up, just more and death by a thousand cuts. We know Bob was there. So why is that important? And then I'll tell you the other guy that I found. Okay, why that's important is because. In, in my version of, of value system, I say, okay, we can prove most of what Bob is saying from that point forward. So if he worked at Los Alamos like they denied, it turns out he did, and it was proven by George Knapp in 1989, it's proven by me again, and if he knew all of this stuff about the base, he somehow had access to that information. Like, that S4 existed when the test flights were going to be in the most secure secret base and a sub part of it that people, nobody knew about. Mm-hmm. There are so many things that Bob knew, and I think I went through a list of them before, but that he should not have known. How did he know? So why is it important he worked at Los Alamos? Because then he's working as a scientist and working as a scientist who has unique hobbies, like a particle accelerator he built, he built in master bedroom. He built two of them, actually. So here's a guy that's thinking outside the box and he would have had the opportunity to have a chance encounter with Ed Teller. Ed Teller's the guy that ran these programs, the modern godfather of the atomic bomb. Turns out I talked to the guy that did the paper article on Bob Lazar recently. And he says, yeah, it's funny. Ed Teller was giving a lecture the next day and I did an interview with him too. And Bob was on the cover that day. So it would make sense that Bob would go up and say, you're reading about me and nice to meet you. So all these kind of things that that you can't deny 
all kind of lead you to the understanding that that Bob, to some degree, you, we can all accept, is telling the truth because he just knew shit he shouldn't have known. And so there's a lot of ways your mind will go around it. Okay, you don't want to believe in flying saucers, then somehow he had access to the base. But now you're doing the Los Alamos thing. You're saying, well, he didn't go to Los Alamos, he was just a janitor. Okay, you've proven he was a physicist at Los Alamos. Well, he didn't really work at Area 51. Okay, he knew some stuff that he shouldn't, so so he had access to it. You know, we keep diminishing, Bob. Why don't we just hear a story and, and, and think about, okay, is it true or not? But yeah, what you're bringing up, there are issues with it can't prove his education so get, how did so how sorry I, just, I get what you're saying though there where it's, it's like i mean who hasn't maybe embellished a resume a little bit to get a job he's, <laughs> he's clearly qualified for the work he's brilliant and he was there so well who do you get to work on flying saucers anyway what are the qualifications <laughs> to i mean you gotta be a scientist me, i guess to me it's really fascinating too because i can all i can see a reality where here's a guy who was working in and around these fields these areas and at a time when the U, like we were talking about earlier, this UFO phenomenon is catching buzz. You know, you mentioned earlier that people were whispering about this stuff going on in Area 51. Here's this, here's this really bright guy who's clearly got an aptitude and an imagination for this stuff, who may have seen or caught wind of rumors and here and there. And to me, it's almost as if that this is a guy who believes this stuff to be true that i and 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 really does may have seen may have not worked but does think the government's got these things and with just almost in it almost as if he's an early reddit guy before the internet is established is going i'm just gonna give this narrative a little bit of a push to get attention going in the right place and in 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 doing that, it might require me to put myself a little bit more in the narrative than possible. Yeah, it's so cool. I you mean, know I, what I mean? I, I, I totally see that perspective. And I I thought all of these things, like when I started sure. this whole thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's so annoying to have to say that that, that it's just because you don't know Bob. Well, that's when the, this yeah. is this is what I wanted yeah. to go to. So what was it right. about the process? Because I've heard you mention this. What was it about the filmmaking process right. that brought you around to, you know? Yeah, I, I believe. And, and Bob. where and where yeah. have you landed now? Yeah. What I'm I want to know what Jeremy Corbell thinks. Sure, happened. Right. So uh, some things I, I am unsure about, but here's what I am sure about. And also, this is about this is coming from sadly some correspondences that I very trust and I and I can't put in a movie. People won't go on record. Sure. But as mm-hmm. a totality, and and from what the public information is, you know, here's where I land on it. You got a guy that, by all accounts, from all his friends and everybody that knew him, was not into UFOs. If he couldn't see it, touch it, feel it, and it, it's all bogus. And I know this kind of thing specifically because there's a man named Jim Goodall who was friends with Bob before he was Bob the UFO guy. And he tur- Bob turned to Jim at one point and he and he's like, man, I just went over and met with Lear. Poor, poor bastard. And Jim Goodall is like, why? John Lear. Yeah, John Lear, you know, of the aviation empire, the Lear jet. And, 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 you know, he's a little out there. John's John's very out there, but I'm just saying, imagine. So Bob meets John, and he's sitting with his friend Jim in a car. They're alone, and he turns his, I feel really bad for Lear. And and, and Jim Goodall says to, to, to Bob Lazar, why? And Bob says, because he's from a prominent aviation family. 
and he believes in UFOs. Hmm. I mean, it's nuts. And that was Bob's standpoint back then. You know, he, he, by all accounts, everybody I've talked with that knew him before, never crossed his mind, the UFO thing. He never thought any of it was real. Um, now, that's his character before. The other thing about Bob that is really makes it, it makes the story more plausible once you kind of get to know him, which is part of my movie. I wanted you to try to get to know him because I think that's a big key part of it. Is this the kind of guy who would spend his life lying to you, like, like you just postulated in that right. thing? Is he the kind of guy that would waste his time or try to profit off of that? And the, the answer is just no. Mm-hmm. He is the absolute opposite kind of guy. And it's so, you just have to, it's like, I have to, well, you just have to believe me. That's Bob's character. I right. mean, but, but look, you know, if you look at his life, I mean, he hasn't tried to profit off of this. He ha- in any way, whatever you think of, we can go into detail. He has not, he, he has been, had so many offers. Well, and you do a good job in the film of, of helping us get to know Bob on that level. Cool. That's you know what, what I, I mean? wanted so to. Yeah. That's a mission accomplished. Nice. You know, I wanted to go to another thing. Um, like I was always fascinated with those those test flights over Papoose Lake, and yes. did Bob ever go into uh, you know how we were able to achieve piloting those vehicles on a on an experimental level? So, so some of that is so bad. See, everybody, we all wish Bob has all the answers because it would be this neat yeah. little bow on yeah. his package, right? You know, right. Like, yeah. okay, this is what happened. So it it frustrates him. To be honest, I imagine there, it there's must, a lot of stuff yeah. he doesn't talk about because he just doesn't know. And also it, it mentally frustrates him as a scientist. Like when you get to know the way his mind works, he wants to know how things work, right? So about that, he his story is he got to see one test flight up close. Yeah. So they call him out. Kraft is sitting on the lake bed, lifts up. Unbelievable to him as a physicist. It was the most profound moment for him because to see something of so much mass lifted effortlessly and silently off the propulsion system that he knows it's using, he was like freaked out by it. He looks at it and he comes underneath it, he says, and you could see, like you can see stars that are behind the sun because of the way the gravity warps it. He's like, when you looked under the craft, it essentially became invisible when you're right underneath it because of the way the gravity distortion was. I mean, his mind was so blown. He said every little thing he saw as a scientist, it was just, it was mind blowing. So how did they pilot him? This this drives him crazy. He comes outside and there is a radio on a table and he's like kind of in radio. So he knows, Hey, what frequency is that? They tell him the frequency. It's, it's not encrypted. He's like, what the heck? Right. None of this makes sense. It's just a card table folded up, but you can't fake a UFO lifting off of the ground right. that massive. So people say, well, it's like a Hollywood set. Bob's like, no, I physically worked on these materials. You cannot fake what I saw. You could fake a building. You could fake a body, but you, you could not fake what I saw. Yeah, you're right? there. You know what you see. Right. Yeah. So that's his standpoint because he, but he, doesn't think you should necessarily believe me. He says, I, I've never been able to provide you all the evidence. And that's what I love about Bob. He's honest. He's like, under the scientific method, you are not supposed to believe me and you shouldn't because, but you can't discount me either unless you can prove me wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. So th- he said that he heard a voice coming through the radio and it appeared to him like they were communicating with the pilot. Sounded like a dude. Yeah. Right. So then you got this problem of like, Two problems. One is, well, the craft was like fitted with three seats for like half size humans. So like, mm-hmm. did and they, supposedly no controls, right? Well, n- none that were obvious right. in the brief moment that Bob was allowed in the craft to see. You know, there could have been a whole you know hook in display. I mean, we don't know. And I've heard like you know uh, pilots use consciousness to like or like that it embeds inside consciousness. I'm thinking flight of the navigator it's stuff a here. Super, <laughs> it's a super cool theory, and right. it could be true. I have no. I, 
I have opinions, but I, I we have no way to know for sure. But here's Bob's dilemma. So everybody asks, well, how is it piloted, Bob? He doesn't know. He he yeah. he he knows what the inside of the craft looked like. He doesn't didn't see controls. Maybe there were controls he didn't see. Maybe the controls lift up when it's powered up. He doesn't know. And then um, the other thing is what kills him is this is a gravity wave propulsion system. He's sure of that. How could radio waves go from within the craft mm. to outside the craft? That doesn't make mm. any sense mm-hmm. by creating this kind of gravity bubble. <laughs> so, so there are things that bother Bob about it scientifically that he feels he'll never know the answers to, and, that, and that's one of them. Well, and also I believe in the film he mentions that he doesn't think that they ever actually did manage to pilot any of the crafts that he was working on. Well, right? a low performance test. He he doesn't think that like the key to the like I was talking about the key the different keys right. to my Rhino. Like he thinks that there these craft absolutely in his understanding of how they work could could travel interstellar no problem. Hmm. What he saw was a low performance test. There, and to nerd out on it, there's two forms, delta phase and omicron phase, the, the different ways they use the gravity of amplifiers. Mm. So the way that he saw it, it was using the Earth's natural gravity with one amplifier, and it was kind of like like floating on water. The thing was just moving. And is it that the kind of thing that they would you would go out and see on a Wednesday night? Yes, that is what they saw okay. on that Wednesday night, because he knew there were certain test flight times and he knew that was a regular one and that and that's when he took people out on three occasions and look they all saw something they never seen before now do they know definitively that was a flying saucer no but sure as hell moved like something they never seen before right. i just want to see the movie like where you know you remember the right stuff where they're training all these pi- i want to see yeah. like yeah. A, a secret <laughs> yeah. sub compartmentalization <laughs> yeah. of like they're training these ufo pilots like yeah. in consciousness studies and buddhist studies they're like you know what i mean esp and they're like you know, I, I imagine something I got, like that. I, I, you know? One of my biggest regrets is a question I didn't ask one time. Um, so I have some, you know, people that have guided my work a little bit, and they're in kind of interesting positions, mm-hmm. and they're into the UFO thing. And I had this kind of moment one time where I, I brought this paper, and there's an article in the New York Times based on an event that I was a part of, and I, I go to this place, and it was a highest-ranking military individual I've ever met, and you know, there was a situation in which. I think he was compelled to talk to me at that time without going into detail. I'll never mention who the guy is, but mm-hmm. basically show him the paper. And I say, look at this, you know, I kind of, I did something pretty cool, you know, and I had talked to him for years wanting to learn more about this because he was in position to know. This individual was in position to know for sure. And it, I could see the frustration in his eyes. And he's like, did so-and-so testify? Did so-and-so? And he started <laughs> saying all these names I'd never heard of. No, no. I like wish I had freaking written, written them down, yeah. you know? <laughs> And there became this point where over a course of years, some some personal things were going on and this individual opened up to me a lot, right? And uh, one of the questions I never asked, so, so in, how can I say this? I am confident that a facility exactly like Lazar describes exists. Me too. Right where he said it exists and it exists back then and that it was doing the types of projects that Lazar said. I'm confident of that personally. And so in, in one of these conversations, I, I actually was able to talk with somebody. I've talked with a number of people at Area 51 who had passes who could drive down to Papoose, that kind of thing. I'm about to release some of those recorded interviews so oh, people cool. get new information. Awesome. But I'm convinced there is a facility there, just like Bob said there was. And I talked to a dude who, 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 I, who I know beyond repute. I mean, the dude is telling me personally, talked about flying out of there. And it kills me to this day that I didn't ask him, you know, in what? 
Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Because you, you don't ask the right question, you're right. not going to get the right answer. You know, with, with these military dudes, you got to be, first of all, they're not going to answer anything they don't want to. Yeah. But also, you got to be specific. Yeah. Awesome. Amazing. Well, that's great. And we encourage everybody to check out uh, your film. It's so, uh, whether, where, wherever you end up at the at the end of it, uh, it's, it's a really compelling watch. And I think, uh, more importantly, uh, like Hunt for Skin for the Skinwalker and and Patient Seventeen, you know, I think you're doing just such a good job of capturing what we love, which is the lore and preserving it and presenting it at face value as someone who feels passionate about this stuff and wanting to get to know get 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 to the deeper heart of what's what's going on. And so anyone, I think all three of those films, if anyone wanted to be like, what's up with implants or what's up with Skinwalker, what's up with Bob Lazar, they could go to any of these three films and get get the story. Also I just want to add too that because there's so much to unpack with the story that we didn't even touch on. Oh the gosh. film itself is just so fun. Yeah. It's so Thanks. cool. It's so well stylized and the music and everything and all the the kind of ethereal transitions and stuff. It's just like, it's a great ride. It's stellar. And if you haven't bought it or rented it, buy it, get the special features. I mean, it's something for your collection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember something you saying uh, early on. I think it might have even been at that premiere, you know. If you want me to keep making films like this, you know, and to keep going down uh, this avenue, then, you know, support this film. And I couldn't agree more. And I'm so glad that it's done so well so that, that we can see where you go next, Jeremy, because I've, you know, I love all the stuff you do. We, we, we've watched 17 and on for Skinwalker and now, uh, Bob Lazar. And it's like, I, I just, you know, this, uh, we're so excited to see what you wear and what you do next. And, uh, you know, a big congratulations, man. Thanks so much, you guys, and for having me on. And, yeah, I mean, here's the deal. Um, it was a really a, bri- a risk to make this movie because it's um, – I knew it was controversial. I knew people would love it or hate it, but I hope they'd watch it, right? I got Mickey Rourke to do the narration. It, so oh, good. yeah, we didn't so even good. We yeah. didn't talk about that. Yeah. So, he is so, so good. Great. Amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. He is the cosmic voice of, like, <laughs> totally. the alter ego of the God. The guy is yeah, amazing. Right. Anyway, so, you know, and then got all this cool animation and all this stuff. And I really do feel that w- this is my, um, this film is kind of a very entertaining one. And the whole point that makes it good is that people <laughs> have these and and well, they have difference of opinions, and for good reason. That's what makes this story interesting. Just because of where I land on it, which I don't try to jam down your throat in my mm-hmm. movie. I'm not trying to tell you what I believe. I'm trying to show you this stuff and show you stuff you might not be able to see. There's so much new stuff and information. That was kind of my key was to uplift the conversation by adding more to the conversation. So, mm-hmm. so if I achieve that, great. I'm stoked you guys like it. Yeah, I really, of course, if people support the film, it helps me make movies. But to be honest with you, I don't know yet if making movies is a sustainable business for me. This is my third film, but I've made them so quickly that I that every t- profit from one goes into the budget. Sure. That I, so <laughs> I, I literally have to stop making movies to see if it's sustainable. <laughs> right, wow. It's right. the craziest thing. But I really hope it is because I really enjoy it. You wouldn't it. Uh, know anything about that. <laughs> right, right. Sustainable making. Sustainable making stuff. I mean, I'll report, hopefully I'll report back and the success of the movie. It's so great that I'm like, oh man, this is sustainable and I'm balling, you know? Yeah. Like, but I don't know yet. So yeah, absolutely. Like any artist that makes a product or something, if you want to see more of that, then, then support it and do it. Yeah. But more than anything, the only 
only thing I want people to take away from this movie is that they 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 watch it, suspend your own prejudice to begin. Just just watch it, mm-hmm. and then de- there are good points to debate. Then debate about it because we're barely scratching it. Yeah, for oh, and yeah. against, for and we, against, we could do a hundred things for it's, and against. It's one of these cases where, like, so many of the stuff in this field, like, and I've heard other interviews with you with people saying the same thing I'm about to say. Uh, which is it? It is a very polarizing thing because so much of it relies on taking Bob Lazar's word for it, right? And and that is just sometimes a really you know it's just one of those things where it's like even with the hits, even when you go well, these things all check off for him. There's still that like, but I just wished it like yeah. so many cases in this field. If we just had that photograph or if we just had that one thing and that's why i think this case or if you want to call it a case this is why this story it resonates with people because for believers and skeptics alike you can see everything that you want to see in this paradigm right you know what yeah, I mean? you, you yeah. can see the greatest con man of all time yeah. which would be which would be the most amazing movie ever if it turned out Still, you know, exactly yeah oh yeah. my gosh but the thing is so that's one version um you know but the closer you get to bob and to his family so have you ever met a con man and you see the the wake of tragedy that a con man leaves in their life have you ever really seen that by mm. the way I, I have seen that and it's 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 crippling to people because they 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 take advantage of people all along way you get the opposite with bob the closer you get to bob's inner circle the more people know he's telling the truth mm. for their own reasons and mm. so it's just so fascinating you guys and yeah I, I this story will live on forever you know it's it's just it's just wild but look in my movie you asked about it mike thinkpin that's the guy that did the security clearance all oh, right and 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 I found the guy. Right. Now he would. Yeah. He said he'd go on camera. Then he wouldn't go on camera. That's so typical with that stuff. I found yeah. footage from thirty years ago that we talked about, which is this cloud chamber test where he was testing the element one fifteen. I found sixty seconds of it. Proves nothing because it was just a little clip between Golden Girls episodes. But but <laughs> I funny. did find it and I did put yeah. it in the movie. There was an FBI raid on Bob in the middle of the filming of the movie. Yeah. That now, is crazy. Whether you part. believe yeah. that or not. I was witness to the aftermath of that. That happened. Now, yeah. what they were looking for—that's up to interpretation. But mm. he's the—if he's—if he's the comment, he's the luckiest comment in the world to get right in the middle of like a movie about you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy, man. All right, well, I want to take a quick break. Uh, we have a few minutes left, and I wanted to be able to get into some of the stuff that Bryce wanted to talk. Oh, about. Oh yeah, cool. So uh, we'll we'll take a brief pause, and then we'll be right back with more UFOs and Jeremy. Right. Okay, so we're back, and uh, I thought this was really interesting. This, I guess, dropped about a week ago. And uh, uh, on January 16, 2019, former Ministry of Defense uh, lead to Britain's UFO Research Project, Mr. Nick Pope, received the letter that went from the DIA to Senators John McCain and Jack Reed. This letter was accompanied by a full list of reports or attachments created by the ATIP program, which was primarily considered unclassified. Now, according to Mr. Pope, as published on his social media accounts January 16, 2019, 
Earlier today, the DIA Office of Corporate Communications officially released to me the letter DIA sent to congressional committees about aid tip. Now, I'd seen a sanitized version of the attachment list before, but had been awaiting the DIA letter. The sanitized version he is referencing, of course, is to your mentor, published by Mr. George Knapp in a story published July 25th, 2018. So he got there first again, too, which is amazing. <laughs> I love that. This was a leaked and partially redacted uh, list of what they were studying under, under ATIP. And what I think is so fascinating is in this list is stuff like um, advanced space propulsion based on vacuum engineering, uh, invisibility cloaking, traversable wormholes, anti-gravity for aerospace applications, um, an introduction to the statistical <coughs> Drake equation, yeah. which if anybody's familiar with the Drake equation, it's uh, famous for kind of trying to figure out how many advanced, how many alien civilizations there would be according to however many stars there are in the universe. Um, warp drive, space communication implications of quantum entanglement and non-locality, which we were talking about earlier. Yeah. But I find this fascinating, this list that was released because it's almost like a Star Trek uh, you know, plot synopsis of their season five, you know? <laughs> so, um, so, so you're looking at this that jo what George put out as a journalist it's like this aha moment where everybody's like, wow, George put out an actual list. Oh, he's a good journalist. But it did. It validated Amazing. him in Absolutely. some way. So, but, and they keep saying, oh, and it was redacted what George put out. Guess what? It was just one of the projects that was redacted because it dealt with weapons and George is being a good guy right. and making sure he didn't burn his sources. Right, okay? right. Absolutely. So, and he mentions that. Yeah. So now, now, now it's all out and it sounds like sci-fi because guess what? They were studying and are studying UFOs. Yeah what they believe to be alien craft. So that's why totally all of those things, it's not like really easily, ex it's explained easily because they were studying UFOs. And you know, and that's exactly right. And what they were trying to sort of cloak the program as was something like, oh, you know, foreign, foreign government, uh, aerospace, advanced, advanced aerospace. threat. Right. And, but when you start reading stuff like that, it's like, well, you okay, say, but, but you know? why, but why that's, let's be real specific. So Harry Reid, who created the funding opportunity for OSAP advanced aerospace weapon system application program. He worded it, a lot of what he was doing, in a way that wouldn't alert, you know, people to what they were actually studying mm -hmm. because he wanted to get funding. He wanted to get special access uh, program for it so that they could have access to other programs that deal with UFOs like biological programs, crash retrieval programs, which exist. And if they had gotten the special access program, uh, you know, status, if Harry, <laughs> Harry Reid had gotten that for, for ATIP, for OSAP, then they would have had access to that information. Hmm. They never got it. A shame. Yeah, it's a shame. But George Knapp just did the first interview with Harry Reid since he's survived his pancreatic cancer, and that's about to drop. Wow. And, and by the way, for that. And by the way, these documents that, that you're referencing here, tip of the iceberg, man, snowflake uh, in wow. the Arctic. That's amazing. Get, get, get ready. So you keep uh, hinting that you know more info's going to drop. I know. <laughs> well, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I know for sure, 100%. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing will stop it now. That's um, incredible. Yeah, what, that's awesome. and when you say, well, like, what do you, what's the timeline on this stuff? Like, when is the well, next well, mainstream? That, I, that is, I'll have to hit <laughs> well, I don't know. So what Soon. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> like, Imminent. Are you talking like another New York Times article? Or are you just talking about more the trickling out of more and more information about this? It, stuff? It's so funny. Like, what is another New York Times article gonna do? Right. Well, I think in term for 
for I, I don't know. Right? No, but, maybe you're right. I mean, maybe it like yeah. I mean, I hope I hope the New York Times would pick something like that up. I mean, the thing that was fascinating about it, and I know that people can you know bash mainstream media as much as they want, and oftentimes right, rightfully so. I think the thing that was fascinating about that article for me of in December 2017 were were the 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 um reporters themselves and especially if you listen to the the daily podcast from that day are just like this kind of like threw me i was not expecting to have this like to be speaking about ufos as legitimately as we were with right lou alizondo right. and harry reed and that's what I think was cool about it is it does sometimes take a mainstream, even though people sitting on this end could be like, we've been talking about this stuff for decades. You know, <laughs> right. it it was, I think it was exciting because it was like, finally, a major newspaper is like talking about tic-tac-shaped UFOs yeah. and posting footage of them. That's not some, you know, under, the, it's not an underground thing, you know? And in that sense, I, I think you're right. And that is powerful. And we need more of that. What I'm I think, unfortunately, it got drowned out by the current news cycle that we're all cursed of living in. I think if, if this had happened eight years ago, it might have more attention brought to it. We need more and more but, info coming out to be newsworthy, to right. pick up and propagate and right. push the ball forward. But that's what I'm saying is going to happen. I can guarantee you that. So, you know, it will be defined what these programs already you got a good list now mm -hmm. now now why hasn't somebody gone and contacted each of those people on the list and talked to them about what can you talk about about your involvement in this right. dia defense intelligence agency program but i think what we're going to find out really soon is that there are more programs and that these programs uh deal with different aspects of this phenomenon and i think our general understanding has now we've 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 punctured this idea and we're like, okay, um, you know, threat identification of UFOs. How do these things work? Let's study that. Cause we want that tech. Well, they're actually happening. That's a good one, but there's more. And I really hope that as that information gets brought out, cause I, I think George got some things under his, you know, under his, I think he's got some things to put out. So let's say he puts some more stuff out and let's say other people start doing it and they start defining these programs. Well, then I think public awareness, will, will it will become bigger of what these programs were. Mm -hmm. And then I think the news is going to have to start paying more attention to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's. I think the thing, you know, with this realm is it is kind of like yelling a bit into an echo chamber, you know, to break through and cross over into the larger media sphere, I think is tough for a lot of stuff in this UFO field. I mean, like everyone who's a fan of this stuff knows George Knapp, you know, I right. don't know if my mom doesn't know who George Knapp right. is, you know what right. I mean? Well, that's why and he that's, let the New York Times break that story. Right. And that's why, and that's why I think stuff like when New York Times breaking this stuff is important for you know the layman audience totally the yeah totally audience. agree but i think and, and look this is all part of a larger conversation of how news and everything's disseminated to begin with that's a whole other topic but it is you know when when i get excited when i hear you say more stuff's coming out it's like yeah i'm like for us or for every you know no, yeah, for everybody no, I, I think for everybody but it's just i've never been a proponent of like a disclosure type of thi thing oh yeah, 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 yeah none of that is Bullshit. I mean, if these visitors wanted to disclose themselves, they'd disclose themselves. This is so ridiculous. There's nothing that's like... And plus, we don't know everything about it. But what I'm saying, to be very clear, 
I think our understanding of the programs, the nature of them, and the variety of them, I think confidently I can say we're going to be learning more about that in relatively soon. And then it's up to the media if they feel that that is um, strong enough information to dig deep and do a big article. I really hope they do because you're right. You know, articles like that, they have impact. Everybody's talking about December 17 article in New York Times. I mean, that's a conversation starter. So yeah, hopefully, you know, more gets picked up. Well, and it's like we were talking about earlier. There is something happening. You can hear it afoot. You know what I mean? There yeah. is more people talking about it in culture and in, and uh, and it's coming out more in the media as well, too. I think it's, uh, I think the, that taboo of the subject of UFOs is slowly being lifted. You know, not I only, agree. not only for us, yeah. the layman, but, but for scientists and for journalists yes. and for anybody else who, uh, you know, can feel that they can talk about this stuff without putting their career at risk. Yeah, it's just, it's, it, and again, it's just making me think of that conversation Bryce and I were having the other day off mic about how, you know, the UFO field is its own worst enemy. And in the ways this ties back to what you were talking about, some of the animosity you were getting going into your premiere, you know, and why a new generation or our generation, and I'm not including myself as an investigator or a reporter in this, I'm just a fan of this stuff, but... Well, we're all just but, fans but, of this stuff. Yeah, know, but I mean, you're reporting. you're going out there, you've got access, you're talking, you're on, sure. you're at Skinwalker Ranch, you're talking to Bob Lazar, <laughs> yeah, which is pretty you're rad. You're doing it. <laughs> but like... We just hang you out know, in the studio. <laughs> it, it's tough like because it. like, in order for this stuff to really cross over, you have to dig... This right. you have to dig out underneath all the decades of bullshit, of misinformation, disinformation, of yeah. shitty YouTube videos, yeah. of hoaxers. And that's why I think this this film in particular is a sticking point with people because it's like you know it's it's it it amplifies all the emotional baggage that yeah. comes along with this stuff. Well, it's an ex- what's real what's a hoax who's telling the truth who's not you've got everything in there you've got paranoia you've got perhaps government conspiracy you have that's recovered true. craft you know what i mean you and, yeah. and it's it, i wasn't it, trying to make such a controversial movie no like, no, no but, it's just, I, but, but i think the topic itself is you know yeah. what i mean and i think you know you have as a filmmaker, you have a really tough job there, you know, and I think you do a great job of putting forth a very compelling story, you know, but I think I think in many ways and some of your frustration must be it's like you know, you're knocking on the door of a giant here in terms of like of everything that's come before you. It's hard to in any of this to just be able to go and now i'm going to make sense of all of all of it yeah you know? and i'm not trying to defend like no, 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 the, the yeah. stories that that i that i do i'm not trying to defend them like you know i'm trying to i'm trying to investigate them yes one of the ways i get access is by having a camera yeah. so then i'm kind of like dutifully bound to show that information right. and let people decide for themselves yeah. that's kind I, of i don't think you're f- film is necessarily controversial as much as like bob is controversial totally you know what I mean? and and as as someone who's watched the film and very compelled by it i i i am still very torn you know what i mean oh yeah i mean i expect i mean my mom is like the worst oh my god it's like in my ear you know seriously you know she's like the most critical but but, but you know, it's because you know because she's seen the, the whole process with it but yeah i expect people to be torn and that's kind of the fun of it like if you make a movie and everybody just stops talking about it or they watch it like, like, eh, 
That's that's me with most movies. Watch a movie. Oh, cool. There's a few that I recommend to people. Yeah. You know, I'm like, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. it really shook me up. So I, I feel like the movie's done that. And now, look, this movie is 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 going to be seen by a wide audience. There, there's a lot going on with this movie. It's gonna be, it's gonna it's gonna be seen by a lot of people. So I'm really I hoping think it already has. Yeah. Oh, it already has for sure. But you know, I'm just. You know, there's some stuff in motion, man. I'm trying to get this movie seen by a lot. Because you make a movie, you want people to see it. And that's the main thing, yeah. right? You want people to talk about it. So you where know? where do you go Where do you go now after doing Bob Lazar? I, I know you don't necessarily want to give specifics, but where, what, what do is, you want to... Is you Bigfoot wanna, on the topic? Yeah, where's, why don't you get on Bigfoot? <laughs> you know, like, like, where do you want to go next? Where is your imagination taking you where's that curiosity taking you You know there's a lot of things that that may or may not occur within the next 12 months that will help dictate that so i need to kind of follow the pace of what's going on i have so many topics that i've already filmed that i could release now okay that that, you know but the thing is I, i really need to feel the pulse of what are people most ready to engage thoughtfully because that, that's just that's just what I, I want i just want people to engage thoughtfully wherever you land on it that's on you but you know i need your attention if, if i'm going to put the work in so well i think you've done that so well in the in the in the way you've rolled out your films i don't know if that was to plan but even like um starting with patient 17 and and physical evidence of implants leading to ufos and then and then this and then the skinwalker thing that really kind of like which I think is kind of what's on the cusp of this, what I like to call the phenomena, is everything's being kind of uh, put together and and saying, wow, are UFOs related to um, to portals and and cryptids and and poltergeist activity, and then moving on to this, you know, this story. So I think you're I think you're so smart to like take the pulse, and and I think, I think you've been it, I think you've been doing that for the last five seven years, however long you've been at this. Thanks, man. Maybe unconsciously seems planned, yeah. but um, no. I mean, the thing is, is that so to answer your question, it's a very unique time right now in that I thought Bob's story was important because uh, we have now learned there are government programs that you know, deal with UFOs. So Amen. it's not a huge leap to say, well, okay, let's look at a guy who claimed he was part of one. Yeah, let's right. see if he's lying or not. Because everybody wants to know, is he worthy of your trust? That's the whole thing with Lazar's story. Is he worthy of your trust? And you need to decide that because your version of that is different than mine, depending on our all exposure to, to Bob and his story. But separate from that, I'm fascinated, and I have a lot of really interesting footage that I have never released dealing with metamaterials. So that big buzzword right now, metamaterials, yeah. right? Fabricated yep. materials that never existed before. Mm-hmm. We are, you know, they're completely have different, totally different properties, uh, you know, like superconducting properties of graphene, that kind of thing. Um, atomic layering is getting so good. The degree at which atomic layering is often, there's always new principles with materials. And material science is the key to technological development. The big thing that's holding us up with anything that we're working with right now in uh, any kind of nanophysics is, is the material science. The better we are at fabrication, the better we are at getting a perfect atomic layering, the better our materials become with the cooler principles. That's and right. there's been all this talk lately, starting in the New York Times article, yeah, that's right. about these mystery metamaterials, right? Yeah. Well, something I never said before, but I'll tell you now, which I have never said it before. Those materials everybody's talking about, I had them in my possession years ago in 2013. Wow. And I took them to be studied by five scientists in New Mexico, and I never reported on them. I never showed anybody the footage. I did that. I recorded them. How did you get a hold of uh, that whole thing, dude? Yeah. So not not just any meta material. You know the, what? These specific ones that are being touted right now, really big, where the images is, are up yeah, are online. I've seen those. Yeah, so I had those. Oh, I feel like this is the word of 2019. 
meta materials. It is. No, no, but but it is. And you read. I'm that not ar- kidding. You read, I know you're not. You, you read that article by yeah. our buddy Danny, who's yeah. on like right. So basically, and you know, he he asked me for a little quote in mm-hmm. it, and what I was trying to say in, in that whole piece was, you know, George has been reporting it. The New York Times reported on it. What is it? What is a meta material? It's just mm-hmm. it's just a material that's like a fabricated. It's not like a naturally occurring. You know, something that we create with unique principle. Graphene is a version of it that that we have been growing for quite some time. But what they're talking about is metamaterials that are far beyond the mm-hmm. technical capability of humanity at this time to fabricate, which would be interesting if true. Yeah. So that that is going to be a topic that I hope. Follow so that are story. you telling wait, 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 are you on, telling wait. us that you got you had spaceship parts? I don't know what in I, your position they were. They point? were they were claimed to be spaceship parts. What, what can can you say at all? What these five scientists that you brought it to study had to say about these materials at all? Well, there's a reason I didn't. There's a reason I didn't report on on the findings yet, and okay. and that's because I have not been satisfied whether whatever these beliefs of these scientists are for or against uh-huh. that these are what they were claimed to be when right. they were given to me to have testing done on them because it was a secondary thing. I was there to test some other stuff with some nanophysicist dudes, uh-huh. and then I happened I love to that. like. Yeah, well, it's true. I also it's true. have this. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's actually it's actually true, and I've never really. I mean, I, I never Pulls really out the infinity gauntlet. Okay, well, there was there, remember that guy Nano Man? He gave me yes. that. That meta material, that that strange uh, alloy thing. So I was part of it, was studying that. But anyway, I don't remember what the fucking. Question so is this going to no, be a movie? This that's what, that's, what movie? I'm, that's what I'm saying is yeah. that like if certain things happen this year that compel the public Got to it. be curious enough for it, then I have some stuff in the can already cool. dealing awesome. with that. So that's my best answer. Right, maybe. Cool. Um, you got three right, right. here. So that's Great. a good start. Is there, wants to know are there any topics that you don't have anything filmed yet or planned yet right. that are down the road that you're like, that'd be cool. I'd like to get, yes. maybe one day I'd like to get to that. Yes. Can you share one of those? Just yeah, a sure. hypothetical? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I, I like to make films where I can move the ball forward. If I can't do that, won't touch it. You know, so a lot of great stories, but I'm just not the right guy right. for it. Like Bigfoot, I think there's people that are way more uh, capable. They have more history involved. They, mm-hmm. they could probably tackle it better than me. M- maybe not. You know, maybe I maybe I could tackle it. But uh, what I'm thinking is uh, counterintelligence. There's a thing happening right now that I find really fascinating. I've been watching this. I've been studying it, and I have been documenting what I have been finding. There are information flows online that are straight up disinformation yeah. to the UFO community, and I have I am personally documenting it, and I have found it. I have researched accounts, found out where they were made. I have really cool wow, abilities cool. to do that's so, and I have. It's so complex. But what I would like to maybe do a film on is show the the disinfo guys of old who admit it, like you know Rick right. Rick Doty. Doty, amazing. I talk to him on a regular basis. People are going to kill me for that and tell me I'm some agent, but I'm not. I just like Rick. He's a yeah. nice guy. He's done some interesting things, and I wanted to get his opinion on stuff. And I actually don't. I actually think. I'll, I'll reserve that. Yeah, <laughs> R- R- Rick Doty is an interesting guy who's a known disinfo guy back in the in the late eighties, and uh, he worked as counterintelligence for the United States government, disinforming people about UFOs. That was his job. He admits yep. it, and it's verified that is true. Yeah, he's also an interesting, a nice guy. I've been fascinated awesome. with that story again lately too. So yeah, well, dude, that's the answer, Jeremy. That's so great. We look forward to the next. 15 things you do. Yeah, <laughs> You're awesome. always welcome back here too, man. Uh, thanks yeah. so much for coming on the show. Where can people find the movie? Uh, hopefully anywhere. Uh, iTunes is the best because if you buy it, uh, you get all the two and a half hours of bonus features. So there iTunes is great. Like Amazon. Yo, yeah. It's like, and the bonus materials are so great. It's just people's attention spans. I couldn't jam it all into the great. 
Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. Well, cool. uh, thanks so much for coming Guys, back. Thanks on the for show. having me. Yeah, Come dude, back with seriously. the next one, please. We'd love to have you. Uh, I want to thank all of our listeners. Uh, we will be back next week with a uh, regularly structured episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club. But it's so great to be able to talk to people who are actually telling stories in this field. So thank you, Jeremy Corbell. Thanks for having Check me. Check out guys. his stuff Patient 17, Hunford Skinwalker, and uh, Bob Lazar, Eric Tochimono Flying Saucers. And we'll see you guys next week on Bigfoot Collectors Club. See ya. Bye. Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray. Our theme song is Come Alone by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps get the podcast to more listeners. To support the show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Bigfoot Collectors Club and unlock multiple reward episodes every month. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.